Hi there. A quick message before we start. Don't forget that you can save money this winter when you book your ski hire at intersportrent.com and use the code SKIPODCAST. You'll get a guaranteed discount for all ski hire in France, Austria and Switzerland. And to make it even simpler, you don't even need to use that code. Just take the link in the show notes and your basket will automatically be reduced. So if you want to support the Ski Podcast, remember to book your ski hire within support and to use the code Ski Podcast or take the link in the show notes. It'll save you money and help us too. Right, let's get on with the show. Hi there, listener, and welcome to episode 93 of the Ski Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Uh, listener, you've made the right choice as this is an award-winning podcast, recently voted the best winter sports podcast in the Sports Podcast Awards. Today, we're going to be chatting about Ischgl, Ladies Out, Valandry, and a unique mountain triathlon in Courcheval. But first, I'd like to thank Switzerland Tourism for their support. As we move into summer, it's worth remembering there are 65,000 kilometres of Waymark trails in Switzerland. And uh, take a listen to uh, a back episode, episode 76, if you'd like to hear my report from the Via Valais trail last summer. Now, my name is Ian Martin. I'd like to introduce my guest today. Firstly, I'm delighted to welcome on the show for the first time, Lindsay Devon from Heaven Publicity. Hi, uh, Lindsay. How are you? Very good, Ian. Lovely to be invited. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. And a regular guest, we have Al Morgan from Skeeker Info. Hi, Al. Hi, Ian. Uh, let me start by asking uh, the regular question for my guests. Uh, when did you last ski or snowboard? Let's start with you, Lindsay. Um, not this week, the week before. <laughs> oh, that's not bad. Where Where were you? Well, I was staying in Le Chable, um, down below Verbier, and I was skiing in the Verbier and the Four Valleys. And uh, we had only gone for a few days, but extended because that massive storm of powder came in, and it was phenomenal. That's nice. So you just decided to extend your trip because there was extra snow, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. And it was we were supposed to go home on a Friday, so we said, gosh, we might as well stay the weekend and come home on the Monday. Yep, yep, that makes a lot of sense. And um, Al, I suspect it might be the same as when we last spoke, but when did you last ski? I was away across the two weeks of Easter in the Paradiski area, staying in Volondri on the Lazark side. Yeah, it was awesome. Right, I, that's right. I recall now we spoke about this in the in the last episode. I mean, let's let's just have a little chat about Volondri now. Did you did you take your kids to the uh, kind of flora and fauna animal museum at the top of the gondola? Yeah, how cool is that? So, from we haven't been in two years because of the pandemic. And they've got a new lift from Volandry, a bubble that runs up. And at the top of the bubble, they've got a whole new learner's area for kids, which is awesome. So kids can go up, take their first turns, learn to ski up there. Makes it really snowshoe up, up at that height. But they've got this big building at the top of the lift, which is a uh, they've got an indoor and outdoor picnic area with vending machines. You can get bread and cheese and ham and jams and all sorts of stuff an ace hot, hot chocolate but they've got a mountain wildlife flora and fauna as you rightly say museum and it's pretty cool so yeah the kids spent a lot of time in there there's also free wi-fi there's a screen to entertain the kids in there so on those wet days because we did have one day that was wet and a bit blowy um you could kind of take a bit of refuge and shelter in there what did you think of the new gondola in Valandry then you've been to Valandry before have you I have, yeah. So there used to be a chair that that, that ran up. There's a, the, well, there's a chair, there's the grizzly chair, and then there used to be another lift from the bottom. But this new gondola just makes it much faster. The uplift is really quick. Uh, you can get 10 people. It's pretty plush, to be honest. It's one of those really nice, modern leather seated yeah it worked really well especially on the days when the weather closed in and you mentioned the weather then what was the snow like overall when you were there we were super lucky so we drove over and even coming out of calais on the weekend at the start of april there was snow on the ground not far south of calais and so that week was really good and then it snowed again on the weekend of the 9th of the 10th we did have a bit of rain at times but so, so fortunate, given the season, it's been a little bit thin on the ground in terms of the amount of snow that has fallen. As Lindsay mentioned, recently, there's been really good snowfall in the Alps. Excellent. So that was a good trip. And, and you've basically, after a long time without skiing, you've actually done pretty well because you had trip out to the ski test and then you're up in Scotland and now you've been to Les Arcs. So like in a month, you must have packed in a lot of ski days. right? Yeah, I've been really, really fortunate. It's been really loaded on the end of the season. Many people got away before 
before I did, but March and April was pretty special. And Lindsay, just coming back to you then, you mentioned that, uh, you know, you had that extra snow coming in when you were out in uh, uh, Verbier, but you stayed in La Chable. And, you know, some listeners might not realise that, that that's kind of the access point, really, isn't it, uh, for Verbier? Basically, everyone passes through there. Absolutely. And the reason we chose to stay there is that now the gondola, since the beginning of December, has become public transport. So it's open from five o'clock in the morning till five to midnight. So you can still go up and down with no problem. So before you'd have to catch a bus, which was a bit of a pain, really, with skis and everything else. But now it's really, really good access and it's a great place to stay if you don't want to be up in the, you know, the, the, the busy part of Verbier. So as a family, that worked really well for us. Excellent. So that's good to hear about the uh, snow there. We do have a couple of snow reports uh, in this episode. Uh, they are from James Gambrel in Bakira in Spain and from Jen Sang in La Plan. They're both a little dated uh, now, but I think you'll still find them interesting. So I'll drop those in now. So it's James Gamble here reporting from Baquera in the Spanish Pyrenees. It is the 10th of April. We have spring weather, but yesterday we had snow. The conditions are amazing. I mean, for 10th of April, the conditions are amazing. You'd be happy if you had these conditions any time in the season. There's a lot of snow. The coverage is brilliant. It's still holding firm up until about two o'clock, which is when we stop for lunch anyway in Spain. Um, and then it's still, it's still decent uh, right through to the end of the day. So amazing end to the season here. They've obviously got another uh, couple of weeks to go to take them to the end of Easter. Um, and according to the resort, they've had the busiest season ever. So it certainly seems as if things are back here um, and it's been a really positive winter for them. So my first time skiing in the Pyrenees, my first time skiing in Spain, and it's just been an amazing experience. So I recommend you check it out. Hi Ski Podcast, this is Jen from Jensang Alpine and Ski Marketing and I'm here in super sunny La Plan and as well as doing the snow report for you I wanted to get a little bit of the ski atmosphere and sounds around the resort into your ears this week. So we are actually out on the mountain and I'm at the top of the Leverset chairlift in Plan Centre, well just above Plan Centre and we're going to ski down towards Champagny. So yeah we are mid-April and La Plan is actually open till the 30th so right to the end of April and I think it's the longest we've been open since I've been here in resort which is well over 15 years now um, we are looking at some absolutely fantastic spring skiing conditions so the first couple of weekends of April we had some really big snow dumps um, but I think if it's the same as around the other resorts what's happened is we've had temperature drops big snowfalls and then almost immediately the temperatures risen um, straight away so we've had awesome snow powder for like 24 hours but then it's warmed up and got heavy quite quickly but just last weekend we were skiing in kind of knee deep waist deep powder at the top of the Roche de Mio and the top of the Leverset it was just fantastic um, having said that on the piece it's been pretty much incredible all season there have been weeks where it's been a bit polished and more hard packed but overall the sap and the pistas have just done an incredible job of keeping everything in really great shape quick break there while I just jump on the next chairlift and I don't know if you can hear but it's so easter can you hear the birds singing amazing so as i'm recording this the whole resort is open so you can head all the way down into montchavan montalbert lecoche all those areas and of course the connection over to lizarc is open however those areas are going to close the week before le plan and lizarc do so le plan and lizarc are open to the 30th but montchavan lecoche and the vanoirs will all close on the weekend of the 23rd and 24th but you can get to all areas of the piece map there's a couple of runs that are closed the off piece is not great i wouldn't recommend it we did actually have an avalanche in resort last week with a couple of British skiers that were caught not far from the from the town, just above the Grand Rochette area. They are both okay. Uh, one was taken to Grenoble Hospital, but it is a really good reminder that if the piece are shut, then it is for a reason right now. So we should talk about Easter because it is technically peak season right now. And yes, there are some bottlenecks kind of when the ski schools are meeting. So at the bottom of the Bergerie and like the Colossus when you're heading home at the end of the day. But actually, once you get off the lift, uh, it's super, super quiet. So um, I'm actually sat on this chairlift and I'm the only one on the chair right now, which is just fab. And it's pretty much time for me to jump off the lift, so I'll say goodbye now. But uh, if you are on the fence about an Easter spring skiing holiday, 100% do it. Um, and that's me signing out from Sunny Le Plan. Take care and we'll see you on the slopes. Bye. Hello, this is Stephen Spears with a quick end of season update for Glencoe Mountain. I was at Glencoe on Saturday the 23rd of April and the snow was lovely in the top runs with lovely weather. Uh, a little bit of a nice breeze to keep you cool in the heat. 
uh, and some really nice snow in the top part of the main basin and then some uh, pretty steep moguls uh, just beyond the haggis trap which uh, which weren't uh, uh, typical of what you get in Scotland but uh, good fun but quite challenging. There was a good run down the wall uh, to get the round down to the, the lower slopes uh, although a bit of a walk, 10 minutes walk was required on the way up to get from the top of the access chair to the cliffhanger chairlift which took you up to the bottom of the main basin. Great snow, great end of season. Uh, the spring run was officially closed, but uh, a report said that the snow was great. A lot of people enjoying the bangers and slash competition, the bank slalom that was on there. Uh, and it looked like a lot of fun was being had there as well. Uh, great day to end the season with lovely weather. And hopefully I'll be back next season to uh, tell more snow reports. And listener, you will have noticed that last minute edition uh, from Stephen Spears in Glencoe skied this weekend. Uh, we don't have uh, Katie Grove from Battleface uh, with us this week, so there's no Battleface travel section. But if you are travelling either for a late ski holiday or a summer holiday, make sure you go to uh, battleface.com for a quote. And you can also check their Sherpa travel tool on the latest uh, rules as far as travel is concerned. Right, so I also uh, just got back uh, from skiing myself. We were in uh, Ladies Out. We went over to Courchevel. I'll mention that as well. And that was a family holiday, a bit like Al's. It was uh, one that kind of been rolled over for a couple of years. Uh, we had three other families with us from Brighton. And, oh, what a joy it was. It was just so good to be there. And I was particularly pleased because I'd actually picked a, a des out because Easter is uh, quite late and I wanted to make sure we had somewhere high to go. And they have a glacier up there and skiing up to 3,600. And certainly uh, we were away from the 9th to the 16th. Lower down, you could ski back down into resort, but uh, by the end of the week, we were all taking uh, the gondola down uh, because it was just, you know, a bit heavy in the afternoons. I don't really trust that type of snow when it's really churny. It's a kind of easy time to get injured. But higher up, snow was magnificent. Uh, so good. I think, Lindsay, you've skied in ladies out before. Have you, you skied all the way up the glacier, I assume? Yes, I have. But as a, as a snowboarder, I, I would have quite ah. enjoyed coming down that sloppy bit at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, It's great up there. And the views are phenomenal. You see across the whole of the Isère. It's just really such a good ski area. Yeah, that's right. While we were in Dizel, I could see uh, outdoors really clearly on the other side of the valley. And I happen to know uh, via Twitter that uh, Vanessa Fisher, who's uh, appeared on the show quite a few times, is on holiday over there so I was I was looking out for her on the other side of the mountain <laughs> but I think you know ladies out does have maybe a slight advantage in that it goes uh, uh higher and it was still pretty damn cold up on the glacier particularly yeah. uh when the wind is blowing they obviously ski there in summer as well and they've been doing a lot of snow preservation to keep the snow in really good condition for summer and you can see that they were starting uh, to focus on that because they have I think they have four different uh, T-bars uh, up there, but they only have one running while they're there and the other ones they'll bring into play uh, during the summer. And as I said, the snow itself you know, really was very good. There's so much skiing above 2,600 metres, which is where the first stage of the uh, Jondry, the main uh, gondola from resort, uh, stops. We were able just to get up high and have really good uh, skiing. And uh, yeah, maybe you did need to manage it a, a bit. But off the glacier, they actually have quite a nice long run down to um, uh, called Signal, which is a, an, an excellent one. Uh, and, and quite unusual, I guess, in some respects, in that some of the higher skiing is not as steep as in some resorts. So skiers who are perhaps not as experienced can still enjoy it uh, up there as well, although there is a blue run uh, down to resort. You mentioned you're a snowboarder, Lindsay. Some of yeah. our snowboarders didn't like some of the shusses uh, on the way back to resort. Yeah, there's a few. There are a few, but you just need to get your speed up. And uh, once you get used to them, I, I bet they got over it in the end. <laughs> um, Al, you've been to Lady Des uh, as well, I assume, at some point? Yeah, I've been a few times. It's where my kids originally learned to ski. Right. Uh, and it's fantastic because where we, 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 we were staying in the Mark Warner combination at the time, there's a beginner's area right beside it. And then for me and my wife, there's just some epic off piste if you want to go and just hike a little. Yeah. Well, even um, without uh, uh, hiking, you can access quite a lot of the off piece, particularly um, off the glacier. On the first day when I got there, there had actually been that, I think that powder that you're referring to, Lindsay, that came yeah. over on the weekend. You know, we arrived on the Saturday. And on the Sunday, I just went for a sneaky uh, ski before all of the rest of the group had got going. And I was lucky enough to uh, be the first to come down a couple of uh, runs and got some powder. And that was great. He also have in, in Desalp a couple of uh, unpasted black runs, which, uh, which you know, op, uh, present a, you know, quite a, a good challenge as well. But coming down off the glacier towards Signal, there's a big range of off-piste. And in fact, um, 
well, I've been with a guy before who's, uh, you know, taken me to lots of different areas. I had thought about going to La Grave, but um, ultimately it was too difficult to try and fit that in and give up a whole day of skiing uh, in Les Dizelles. And the family wouldn't have been too happy with you disappearing on them. <laughs> hey, you know, it was quite strange because I was actually a um, that kind of ski guide for the week. It was taking me back to my days <laughs> as, a, as a resort rep. Lindsay and I, you know, worked together out in the Alps at, at different points and like... You know, if as a as a ski guide, you know, when I was working for Bladen Lines or Ski Beach Villas or whoever it was, uh, Crystal Holidays, you know, at the time, you would never take a group of 18. That's just like too big. And I said at the start, you know, I'm not really sure this is going to work, but we all settled into our own ways. And I did that kind of, you know, first day tour de piste uh, type of thing. Um, but, you know, I, I, I did enjoy that. But equally, when I go on the various press trips I go on, you know, I absolutely love going with a guide who just uh, you know takes all of that thinking out of it and uh, you can just follow them around the place that's yeah. really good i will say that um, i drove there and back in an electric vehicle and i'm writing an article for the telegraph that i need to get on with uh, about that experience we went out in a ford mustang Mach-E. you know we have our tesla 3 uh, here but this is a much bigger range 330 uh, mile range uh, or official 330 mile range i'm not going to go into all of the details of that now but i can say we had a mixed experience you know i really want to come on and say wow you know this was so easy don't worry about it at all you can easily drive an electric car to the alps you know you can but you just got to be super organized there is just so much forethought uh, required when you know you have a range and there are only certain places you can charge and there are actually millions of places or thousands of places you can charge but what you want to do is you want to be able to charge quickly and therefore there's a limited number of places particularly if you're not in a tesla because there are lots of tesla superchargers which is what i've been used to in our car at the moment but if you're not in a tesla we use the ionity network and they've got a great set of chargers we never had to queue for them you know you could always uh, get on you could charge your car up quickly but it's just not as widespread and not as well organized and then one of the most irritating things was we found that um on more than one occasion you've got the airs you know the service stations but they only have the charger on one side of the road not on the other side of the oh, road so if you're going northbound then it could be southbound you end up depending how you've planned it, having to do a, a, a little loop and just wasting time and uh, and mileage. So, you know, I'm going to write that up in, in full for the Telegraph. I mean, what I did find interesting is we drove all the way from Dezalp to Courcheval and then you know, I drove up and down Courcheval and over to Mirabella quite a lot. You know, that was absolutely fine. What's really interesting driving in the mountains as opposed to on the motorway is that um, the energy cost is nowhere near as high as you'd think because... All of these electric cars have regenerative braking so that when you're going downhill, you're actually adding to the range the whole time. Oh, that's really you're not, clever. You're not using up uh, any power at all. So you do burn it when you go uphill. But, you know, I found we were getting kind of 250 miles uh, on, a, on a charge driving around from Latania up to Courcheval and down. You know, and indeed, when we left both resorts, we drove for about 40 miles before we started to go into negative range because we built up so much on the downhill actually leaving resorts that it just increased the range. So I found that really interesting. It makes me think I have done a, a previous um, podcast special about electric cars in ski resorts. So you can get a decent range uh, using it up and down in the mountains. It's more about the issue of driving on the motorway and if you want to drive at what most people would consider to be a reasonable speed then you do reduce that effective range and you need to think carefully about how you're going to uh, to plan it overall but i will collect my thoughts and i will write up that uh, telegraph uh, article and i will share it in due course and i hope to do a video which i'll put onto the uh, skipedia youtube uh, channel can i ask a question about when you were um, when you were charging how long is a quick charge because you said you know you wanted a fast charge I mean, it depends what state of charge you're at uh, at the moment. If you were really low, yeah. let's say you've only you've got less than 50 miles uh, left, you know, near near the bottom, that could take 40 minutes to get it up to 90%, let's say. Oh, that's pretty you know, fast, though. I consider that to be pretty fast. In the end, I actually decided that it's better to have uh, two shorter stops of, say, 20 minutes each and one longer one of 40 because, you know, that's still enough time for you know everybody to get out stretch their legs get some food you know get a bit of sunshine etc 20 minutes is fine you don't need to have uh, 40 minutes 
again, it all depends exactly where those um, charges are are kind of placed, uh, how easy it is to uh, to get to them. But I thought I thought that was a better way. You don't need to go all the way down to to kind of the last few miles. You can just top up as you go. And actually, the way charges work for electric vehicles is they charge much faster in the the, the lower part of the battery than the upper part of the battery, if that makes sense. Once you've got yeah. past 50%, it's much slower for uh, adding everything on. But, you know, that experience was good. And we ha- I you know, had a really good time in Ladies Out. One of the opportunities I had in Ladies Out was to speak to the mayor of the uh, town. Uh, and I did a couple of interviews with him. Firstly, about uh, sustainability. And secondly, about the new lifts. Now, it was a, a bit of a long conversation. So I'm going to put the one about the new lifts in the next episode, episode 94. But let's have a listen to that chat about uh, Ladies Alp and their approach to sustainability now. Great. So I'm here today with Christoph Aubert, who is mayor of Ladies Alp. Nice to meet you, Christoph. Nice meeting you, Jan. I've had an excellent uh, week here. We're just coming to the end of the week uh, now. And, uh, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, I was reading uh, the press pack that I received, and it talks about how integrating green values into everything you do is a really important part of what you're uh, looking for. And I noticed that you're planning to, or you're, you're bidding to uh, be awarded the Flocon Vert accreditation. And listeners to the podcast will be familiar with this uh, because we've talked to people from Morzine before and from Les Arc. There's not many resorts that have the Flocon Vera accreditation. So I wondered, um, you know, why? What's your motivation? Why are you trying to do this? Mm-hmm. Um, well, first of all, it's very nice to have you here. And I hope you really had a, a very enjoyable stay. And um, why don't you come back to uh, Flocon Vera? It's... Uh, pretty much a tool for us and we are really working into um, our ways to have a more sustainable uh, uh, economy and stay and um, uh, integration and projects uh, for our whole community. Uh, so economy has really to be linked uh, with all these, uh, let's say, green values like you said. Yeah. And actually to to go a bit further, uh, even if you, you had money to, to deal with this project, you still have to have people uh, on site all the year round and they have to be well acquainted with these values and they have to uh, be part of it. So it's not just about the incoming tourists, it's about the life of the resort as well. Exactly. It's maybe a bit hard for me to express, but it's really a project that takes everyone together and of course, we are uh, convinced that uh, we have to take care of our whole um, life around environment, that we got a glacier, which is uh, a treasure, but we have to take care of it. And it's not just about grooming it. It's about having uh, like electrical buses, like we said. It's all about having uh, like, like a king here. Uh, electric uh, cars and to be able to plug them in it's very important uh, we want to separate all the garbage yeah uh, I won't be more detailed here but yeah but so there's so many different elements uh, of it aren't there but you mentioned uh, about how it's important for you know the town in itself and I understand that I read some really interesting research this week from booking.com that said that 71 percent of people, you know, looking to travel, want to go, uh, or want to be sustainable on their travels. So it's obviously also quite important that ladies out, for example, could say, yes, we've got a flock on their accreditation so that consumers, holiday makers can know that they're going to a destination which is making the right efforts towards sustainability. Again, this flock on is really a tool that makes us organize all our ideas. Uh, around uh, these three directions we talked about. Yeah. And uh, when you talk about, um, like, how do I come here? It's very important that we work on it because actually 70% of the pollution that we are emitting for greenhouse effects uh, is coming from the thermic cars, uh, you know, like uh, petrol and, and so on. We're really working on how you would come tomorrow here uh, to Ledoza, to L'Alpedues, to this uh, big area and working more and more with uh, cable transportations yep. so that uh, you would drop your car somewhere in the next uh, biggest town and be able to come here without taking your car. Uh, this has uh, 
a huge effect on um, our sustainability because 70% of this greenhouse effect would be linked to it. So let's remember that tomorrow uh, you could come to Ledoza with your car, electric car. You would move uh, in town uh, between the, the bars, the ski areas, uh, everything, uh, different leisures, uh, by electric buses or just by foot. And when you want to go outside, uh, let's say to the next uh, closest village, you would go with cables. And that kind of leads me on to a, 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 another uh, question, which I guess I, I might as well ask you now. I've, I've heard for many years talk of a, a link between Ladies Alp and Outdoors, uh, like a lift system between the two. And, uh, you know, maybe that would fit into that. You're saying that people would park down in the valley and then take a lift up. Is uh, that ever going to happen, a, a link between the uh, two resorts? I hope it will, because this really belongs to a philosophy, it belongs to a vision that we have. Uh, let's say as soon as you arrive in this area that we call the Oison, yep. that you turn on the right uh, to this uh, uh, green big valley, you, you know, uh, with all these big mountains. Uh, let's say you arrive there and you would be able to drop off the car and get into a cable car that takes you to Alpes or to Dezal or any other villages that are linked to it. For example, uh, we already have this cable car taking us down to Venosk, yeah. which is very traditional. It's working actually uh, 7 to 8 p.m. almost uh, all the season long and very soon all year long. And tomorrow uh, we intend to have the same thing uh, taking us from Les Alpes to Oris uh, to Alpes and they already got it between Alpes Oz, Ojani. Yeah. Uh, they will get it between Alpes and Bourdoison. It's just taking us um, a longer time because we want really to, to find the right place to set the, the pylons and to have a minimal effect on everything that's uh, with nature concerned. And we're taking our time, but it will be coming. And the philosophy is that uh, you drop off your car and then you move with your bike, with your feet and uh, within nature, just like uh, you'd go for adventure. These type of projects that you talk about, I think lots of resorts understand the um, importance of trying to reduce the traffic up to resort. And I think uh, you know, another project that's been discussed for a long time is an access lift from Clues up to uh, to Flen. And then also more recently in Courcheval, they're going to be introducing a new lift from Bazel to go up to Courcheval with the idea that you know more people will leave their cars uh, down at the bottom. And it makes total sense because so many people are driving uh, up the hill. It would be much better to, to leave the cars at the bottom. And then obviously, you know, people can travel by public transport to that hub, you know, in Bourg d'Oiseau and, and go from there. But, you know, the, this thinking really takes a lot of aspects into concern because uh, you have to find, for example, places to park when you're in Bourg Otherwise, uh, you wouldn't be able to drop off. So uh, it needs, you need to take you need to take time for this infrastructure to, to take place or you have to organize other kind of transportation from Grenoble with other coaches but, uh, like electricities maybe and we even want to, to get the train uh, closer to, to Les Alpes. I can't tell you where and when exactly but we're really making uh, plans into the future and we hope everything will be fine for us very soon. It's really sustainable and uh, it's really worth doing it because uh, we got we got snow. Uh, we will have snow. Uh, we got more than fifty years uh, ahead of us. They stopped computing after fifty years. It's just that the models were too short. Uh, but we know we can do it even longer. One of the reasons I chose uh, Desalp, and we're here with four families, is because it goes so high. I knew we'd be coming out here quite late. Uh, you know, mid-April, uh, okay. uh, and to be able to ski in, with quite a large amount of the area above 3,000 uh, metres has been great. And, you know, up on the glacier, it's amazing. Now, you do a lot of work to preserve that glacier, mm -hmm. don't you? Because, I mean, I know that you're looking at it in the long term. How do you, how are you kind of protecting the snow up there? It's been a work that has taken a lot of studies for a long time. We've got engineers uh, there's even one which is full-time working on the glacier, full-time engineer on the glacier. He's been doing uh, measurements and then studies and then projections. And now we know exactly uh, what we have to do pre to preserve it. For example, 
uh, it's very important that there is always snow on the ice because uh, yeah. the ice is melting uh, when the sun hits it. Uh, but if there is snow, it's so white, so bright that uh, most of the the heat goes away, and of course it's very high, so it stays cold as well. Yeah, uh, you can you can see up there. Uh, I have been here in summer as well, and in summer a much larger area of it is used. At the moment, you can see the snow has been spread out across the glacier, and that's yeah. obviously part of uh, that's the reason why. Exactly, we that's a way of working on it on the winter to preserve it uh, for. Uh, longer terms and uh, for now for example I think you've seen these tracks we've got because um, there is snow but there is also wind a lot of strong winds in the winter so when you got uh, these tracks uh, it stops the wind and the snow stays on the glacier it doesn't go into the valley and the more snow there is the more it will be packed in the summer the second thing is when we groom the glacier uh, the snow will be packed and after a while it becomes ice uh, you know, we we had this experiment, it was uh, two years ago, we had a little lake, we pumped the lake and uh, we made some snow. And actually, uh, some years after, uh, we were able to to find it over again. You know, it was uh, inside the different um The same layers. snow, that, that, that type of snow, it. right, we okay. We found it, actually, uh, <laughs> some years after, right. it was just like a, a slice we made by you know could see that there was this layer of snow that we made we know how to regenerate and right. that's the work we're doing and uh, for the nearest future we're working on, a, on another like a bigger lake yeah uh, which the main use will be uh, to enhance the glacier uh, to trying to preserve it maybe not to make it bigger than it is but just to bring the snow that it needs to stay just as nice as it is today. Yeah, and you use snow farming on the glacier as well, in that you cover, uh, um, literally cover some of the snow, we, is that right? We did it for experiment, yep. and uh, we took these data back to the scientists, and now uh, we're uh, just uh, presenting the studies to the government. Um, we're in the process of having this authorization. Right. Because, uh, that's really a team uh, work and working with the government, with the engineers, and with us. And the, and the peace bashers, or snow groomers uh, mm -hmm. themselves, I think I read somewhere that they use a combination of GPS and radar to monitor the depth of the snow at they different are, points. They are. It's very modern equipment. Uh, the grooming, the machines, uh, they're just as uh, modern, just as like a plane. <laughs> uh, they're really like... A, you know, uh, rocket scientists. The ski lifts are due to close on the 1st of May and then yeah. reopen again on the 28th of exactly. May, aren't they? Actually, the, 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 the resort is always open, but it's just there is a season for skiing and there is a season for uh, like uh, training for uh, competitors. You know, uh, yeah. we got like a uh, world champions uh, training here. And so indeed it's opening again for, for them, uh, for training. Uh, so skiing, uh, biking or like uh, trailing as yeah. well, uh, end of May. And we got the cycling coming back, you know, Tour de France and uh, all these other competitions with uh, um, mountain biking. Familiar with uh, a Me few too. of those, a mountain of hell, is that one of... Uh, That's the one. Yeah, That's exactly. Like World Championship. Yeah, I mean, it's I've seen a video of it before. It's amazing. Also, another race you've got coming up at the end of uh end of this month the snow bike race yeah. where um you ski down you know from the glacier to resort and then yeah. tag the next member of your team and then they cycle down to Venosk. Yeah? it's uh, uh it's pretty much principle it's actually a, a team race and we go by two and the two have to get together at the bottom and half of it is skiing half of it is with the bike and i'm looking forward to do it again you've done it uh, I did it, and I'll do it again. Were you a skier or a biker? I I'll do both. Right, okay, brilliant. You can come and be there. <laughs> there have to be another one. I've done the snow uh, um, night trail here before, yeah. uh, which has been great fun. I've skied here in summer, uh, but uh, you know, I would like to come here in, uh, in summer again and uh, maybe expand on my mountain biking a little bit. There's more thrust and more emotions when you go down and go faster. <laughs> it's very scary. I don't mind going fast on skis. I'm not quite uh, experienced enough to go fast on a bike. Well, I really enjoyed chatting to Christophe Aubert, Mayor of Ladies Out, and you can listen to part two of that interview in our next episode. Let's jump we'll be from France about to uh, Austria investment and bring in Lindsay. In now, Lindsay uh, works for Heaven Publicity, a PR company, represent all sorts of uh, different resorts, but one of the resorts you represent is Ischgl, and I found that really interesting. I think you've 
probably recently taken on uh, that account. Is that right? Yep, that's correct. Um, during the pandemic. During the pandemic. Now, you mentioned the pandemic, so you mentioned it first. So I'm allowed to bring it up. Ishkul did get uh, yeah, quite a lot of criticism for being this super spreader location. And, you know, I've been, uh, you know, I've, I've looked into this in quite a lot, but I'd like to know your view. You know, do you think the resort was unfairly tarnished with that label? Well, back then there was no testing and, you know, they were caught by surprise like everyone else in the world. And I think everyone can see that now. You know, the Austrian authorities reached the same conclusion. Um, the Innsbruck state prosecutor um, concluded an 18 month probe into sort of criminal liability in Ishkul a few months ago, saying it had, you know, there was no case to answer. And I think as everywhere in the Alps, as I was travelling in sort of January, February, March 2020, people had colds all over the Alps. So, yes, you know, there was no testing then. So it was seen that way, but it was, you know, not the fairest of, of titles to be given. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they certainly weren't, uh, you know, uh, weren't alone in respect of people uh, catching covid let's say in ski resorts but it did feel that they uh, you know got a bit of a beating and in fact the ski industry as a whole you yeah. know really did was was put up as a, a as a scapegoat for bringing you know covid into the uk or let's we're not going to go into the details i'll try and keep the show non-political so we'll just uh, we'll just move on but i was interested you know in relation to that you know school were obviously very aware of that uh, uh, situation, yeah. and I think they yeah, they made a few changes to resort life in the lead up to this winter season because of all of that. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you remember, there was no ski season in 2021 because the hotels and restaurants were closed in Ishkul for nearly all the season. But the cable cars could run, but Ishkul actually decided against it that season already, um, and because that was what they decided. And then they had a delayed and restricted season in 21-22 this time. You know, there was the obligation to wear masks. There was no night gastronomy. There were curfews. Um, and it actually, in the end, opened three weeks later um, than planned in mid-December. But the um, the lift company, the Silvretta's Barn, they spared no effort, um, you know, to ensure a safe season. They made an absolute beeline that everything was safe. And they invested around €700,000 in hygiene measures um, and that included new intelligent camera systems on the three cable cars, which, you know, gave people the chance to look, um, optimise waiting times in the queuing areas by um, looking at this um, on an app. And this was, you know, a real time app. And then, of course, on top of that, all the cable cars, cabins were disinfected with cold fogging equipment, which got rid of 99.9% of uh, viruses, bacteria and spores in the cable cars. The same method was also um, implemented in the ski buses every day. The same in sports shops, the ski lockers, toilet facilities, um, and even the first aid stations. So, you know, that was quite imperative. And also the whole valley, the Paznaun Valley, was also one of the first regions to introduce wastewater monitoring, meaning they could identify possible clusters in advance. And this whole safety package, as well as strict monitoring and compliance with the legal Austrian framework, gave guests you know, a maximum safe and relaxed holiday experience. Um, and as you know, there were things, uh, there was a, by the Austrians, it was a 3G or even at times 2G. This was adhered to at all times um, by the resort and by people traveling. And the best thing about it was that people were just happy to be back up on the mountain. When I was out there in January, everybody was like, we're happy to follow the restrictions. We're on a mountain. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, certainly in the in the early uh, part of the season, everybody felt that the uh, the joy at just being on the mountains again uh, was wonderful. And you know, I had friends who went out to Ishkul this year, and I found it quite interesting because there was this thought that um, you know, Apre. I, I think there was a quote, wasn't there, from the mayor or something saying, "Oh, Apre ski is over," but I'm not quite sure that was the case, is it? No, he didn't mean it as it was over, over, but they did bring in some things like banning people drinking in the car parks because that was something that had happened in the past. So people were restricted to be in bars um, and in those areas. So it wasn't banned, but there were time restrictions by the Austrian framework that was put there. So it wasn't banned and there was nice, gentle apres, not, you know, full on, which people would have thought of. And that was the same everywhere, to be honest, this season. 
Gen uh, well, I, I did see some at prey that looked like it was a bit beyond uh, uh, the gentle at prey uh, really? in the, in the um, fully do savouring uh, VT earlier in the season. Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting. So, you know, at prey didn't finish. It just, uh, you know, perhaps was focused on the bars uh, themselves. And overall, how would you say the winter uh, went in Ishkul? I mean, I'm, I'm particularly interested, actually, in, I don't know if you have any data on it, you know, how did the numbers go for people buying lift tickets, uh, particularly maybe from the UK as well? Well, with the latest start into the season, you know, three weeks later than normal, the restrictions within the country and as well with restrictions from other countries, you know, so Germany put Austria on the high risk. The UK wasn't allowed to go. And it also was the whole thing. It was very hard for families to travel to Austria um, because of all the restrictions and what wasn't being done here in the UK for teenagers, etc. So how did it go? It went better than expected. Um, we don't have the figures yet because, of course, March and April, well, particularly this month, are a lot bigger numbers. But it did go better than anticipated, um, given everything. And they have said that, you know, they, they did feel the British were back. But we don't have the numbers yet. It's too early in the season. Excellent. How was the snow? Because my impression is that the snow was very good this season. It was really good. And, of course, you know, the thing is, in Ishkol, it's a really high resort so, you know, the snow levels were really good. When I went there, we had powder. It was phenomenal. It wasn't hugely busy, but it was really, really good snow. So they have had a really good snow season skiing back into the village. So, yeah, really good. Yeah. And I mean, you alluded to the to the height there. I mean, that's one of the reasons why Ishkel is known for opening early and closing late every season. Maybe there were some issues this year that, you know, delayed the uh, opening. But, you know, this, the skiing is still going on at the moment. It's very famous for its uh, on-mountain events. Uh, I recently came across uh, the fact that there's a, a kind of ongoing music event all the way through the end of the season called uh, Spring Blanc. Uh, celebrating the end of the season. It's on right now. I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit more about it. Oh, absolutely. It started on the 2nd of April. It goes on till the 1st of May, and it's basically celebrating spring and snow, hence white spring is the literal translation. And it was not the only ski resort where you can still ski in April, but it's one of the few that make it special. So this is making it special. Um, and as well as the main bands, there is more on offer than normal than we've had in the past. There's gourmet experience and other musical treats. There's sundowner events, mountain breakfast on offer and like dine around options. So that's quite exciting. And then, of course, the live concerts themselves. They take place on the piste, open air on the Idalp, which is located at 2300 metres. Um, and it's free with the lift pass. Um, so first up, we had uh, Simply Red on April the 2nd for the new series and it had 10,000 concert goers which is pretty huge um, and then during Easter there were uh, performances by German artists there was Max Mutzi um, and the weekend before there was a, um, a band called No Angels that were on Alp Trida which aren't so well known to us but the next band that of course the Brits do know is Kings of Leon playing on the 30th so you can still get out there um, <laughs> and that'll be at the Eid Alp as well. Yeah, I mean, that is, a, you know, a big name, but they are just one in a long line of seriously big acts who've played uh, uh, Ishkul. So who, who are the others who've who've topped the bill and which of them have you been to see? Ah, well, I would like to go and see Kings of Leon because they're renowned for their rousing live performances. But sadly, I can't go. But anyway, um, previous concerts have included everybody from The Killers, Elton John, Scissor Sisters, Kylie, Rod Stewart, Lionel Richie, Beach Boys, etc., etc. I've been to several concerts over the year. I won't over the years. I won't say how many, but uh, when I was at Ingham's, I used to go quite a lot. And uh, yeah, they've been really, really good. They're all very different. But the best thing is being on top of that mountain. It's just so amazing. They've, they've all been different, but if you had to pick a, of the ones that you've been to, which one was the best? Which would that be? I think one of my favourites was Sir Elton John in 2008. Um, I love the fact at the time his rider list asked for palm trees to be delivered to his set on Edalp. Um, I found <laughs> that quite fun. And I also love the fact the grand piano had to get up there um, onto the stage. That was a feat in itself. Um, and he'd also whip the, the crowd into a frenzy. And if you think about it, you know, it's really hard to get tickets for Elton John. And now he's doing his farewell tour. But I just it was amazing that I could just go up there, have a ski ticket and see him live. That is amazing. And that's great. Well, that sounds that sounds amazing. And thanks. That is an extremely thorough update on uh, Ishkel. 
Um, really, really uh, interesting. And, you know, as Lindsay says, uh, this will, this is going to be published on the 25th. You could still get out there in time to see uh, Kings of Leon for free. I guess if you factor that into your costs, you know, you're comparing it to going to like a, some stadium or something like that, where you get a much better atmosphere and a more beautiful uh, environment in the Alps. You know, it actually could work out some uh, amazing value if you really did it like that. Well, absolutely. And if you if I've just recently bought tickets for to go and see a concert and they are really expensive. So I think you're right. If you factor it all in and you want to have a good weekend away and a bit of a ski, I think it's amazing value. Cool. Well, that's brilliant, Lindsay. Thanks very much for that. Right. Let, let's turn to equipment now with our resident equipment expert, uh, Al, from skikitinfo.com. Now, regular listeners will know that you went out to the ski test a little while ago and you get the opportunity to try all of next year's gear uh, early. There are a couple of items that you mentioned to me there that particularly impressed you that you wanted just to uh, talk a little bit about. I think the first one was the uh, Atomic uh, new ski, the Bent ski. Is that right? Yeah, so Atomic has worked with Chris Benchetler, who's a pro free skier, amazing skier, artist, surfer, uh, for around 14 years. And they've had a couple of skis in the range, a big fat 120 width, which is his ski. And then he's also been involved in the development of a 100 width, which I've had for a few years now. But for next winter, they've got a whole range by him called the Bent Family, going from 85. There are kids' models, Grom's models as well, but for... Biggest skiers for growing up is an 85, there's the 90, there's the 100, a 110, and a 120. So it's a big range. But so those, are, those are the widths, right? What you're they're the waist widths, the yeah. To be honest, the 100 is a good ski, wood core, glass laminate. I prefer things like their Maverick 95, which are a bit stiffer. But the new models, these the 110, which is a twin tip, twin rocker ski, not my normal fare for skiing, was just amazing. And I know others that have skied this, you know, the guys from Four Line and things have been on this and just been blown away by it. It's just amazing. Uh, it's not expensive. It's about £550 for the ski. So at the Olympics, they had a lot of skiers on a graphic for the Bent 90. Particularly, I mean, it wasn't actually the Bent 90 ski. They were still on the Punks free ski because the pro athletes hadn't got to test it fully. Uh, I know they're going to be on the Bent 90 going forward. So I want to test that. And I took it out to um to the laundry with me for the trip and it's just incredible for something that is really designed for people to go and jib about on which i did i took it in the park it was awesome for jumping on um and it greatly improved my switch riding i'm not a freestyle rider but for going about the piece that was it just lit me up it was such good fun it's about 400 quid for the ski and it just kind of blew me away in something that is that great value can be so good all round. Cool. So you, you said 400 and you mentioned 550. Is the difference coming with bindings as well? Oh, so the 550 was for that wider ski, that 110, which right. is a new one, which I'd skied out in uh, in Austria at, at ski test. Yeah. And then that 400 pounds price point is for the Bent 90. Now, all of the skis across that Bent range have Chris Benchetler graphics and they just are so striking. Yeah, they're pretty epic. And yeah, it blew me away. Okay, awesome. excellent. I, well, uh, firstly, uh, I love the fact, uh, Al, that you're still getting in the park and jibbing with the, all, all the youngsters. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and secondly, it sounds very interesting. One of the things you mentioned there was about how uh, during the Olympics, a number of the athletes were, were skiing on uh, atomic skis with different decals, with these bent decals. And that actually reminds me of something that I, I was told before, that sometimes you, you, you know, this actually help, happens quite often. You might even get people wearing ski boots where it's Tell me if you think this is true or not. A different no, brand, but right. they have their, they're a different brand, but they have their sponsors brand decals on the outside of them. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's really commonplace in competitive snow sports. These companies have got to operate commercially, and what consumers buy is different to what pro athletes ski generally, especially on the race scene. And it costs a lot of money to develop product, develop boots. So partway through development, they might be trialing different things that have a different graphic on it for atomic because i've asked them about this because I, I was just curious as to why at the olympics they were skiing on a punk ski which is a, a you know a proper full freestyle twin ski but with the new bent 90 graphic and it's was really down to the fact that the athletes didn't get to have enough time on the product before the olympics they're there to compete first and foremost and that's what it was about but they're all going to be on this new bent 90 going forward i think they're already on it a lot of them and i think another product that impressed you while you're out on the ski test was uh, bindings uh, from strive 
So Atomic and Salomon are sister companies. They sit under the AMA brand. So does Armada. And with this Stride binding, so I don't, you know, bindings are binding. You normally get given a certain binding on a ski. It looks a bit like their shift hybrid touring binding, but it's not. It's a pure downhill binding, but it just really changed the, the, the feel of the ski. It's a less ramped than something like their Warden binding. It's a similar weight, but it feels a lot lighter on your feet, just the design of it. And because you are much closer to the ski for that sort of free ride experience where you want to be closer to the snow, have that connected feeling, it worked fantastically well it's also got a wider mount plate so you get better power through the edge of the ski and i think this helped the ski give, have amazing performance on free and snow okay well i might be opening a can of worms uh, here but how much of a ski's performance do you think is related to the ski and how much of it is related to the binding that you're using with that ski it depends what you are doing it does make a difference because we've tested a lot with different bindings on same skis so it does make a difference the biggest difference is if you're going to put a frame touring binding on it where the toe and the heel piece of the binding are connected by bars that make has the biggest impact on changing the dynamic of the ski because you create a dead spot in the middle for regular downhill bindings bindings where the toe and heel aren't connected it's more about the boot position so is the heel ramped up really high as it can be on some bindings intentionally and then how connected are you to the ski because for racing you might want a lot of leverage you might be higher off for free riding powder ski you might want to be more close to the top sheet of the ski excellent well that's really interesting i think it's probably an opportunity to talk about bindings in in a lot more detail but we'll do that in another uh, episode that's brilliant al thank you very much for that i just mentioned and while we're on the kit section at this point you might recall uh, listener we had rory from Dewarstone on the uh, podcast a few weeks ago and i um managed to get hold of some of his wooden sunglasses that had impressed uh, al as well uh, you know they produce them as wooden sunglasses that start off with uh, for paddleboarders <laughs> dropping their glasses into the water and i took those out with me to uh Diz out and really enjoyed it and really enjoyed showing other people uh, uh them as well trying to hopefully drum up some more uh, uh business uh, for him only went skiing with them one day but they uh they did the business for me now moving on to uh courcheval i mentioned earlier i moved i uh, went to courcheval from ladies out and the reason i went to courcheval it was just a short trip i specifically went there because i was going to do an event called the uh, dina star x3 it's a triathlon it's a bit different from your normal triathlon in that um, it's a bike followed by a run followed by ski touring and it starts kind of lower down the valley about 800 meters and you have to climb uh, up to courcheval 1850 about a 900 meter uh, vertical ascent then do a run, 6K run through the woods and the snow and the slush, for that matter. And then ski tour from 1850 up to uh, Salia. Wow. Well, that was quite an event. They call it a uh, triathlon or norm, out of the ordinary. Um, I really did enjoy it. I'm going to drop a, a video I did of it into the show notes. I'm writing an article for that one uh, for Trail Running Magazine. So uh, I will uh, put a link to that when we come around to it. But really very, very entertaining day out for me. It's the sort of thing I think Al could probably appreciate. You've done all of those uh, sports before. Ever tried a triathlon quite in that format before, Al? No, and I'm just thinking how punishing that is for your legs because the triathlon that you and I used to race, you know, some would be for your upper body and then some a lot would be for your legs. And yes, it was punishing, but that was a full legs day for you. So how, how did you feel from it? Well, I'll tell you what, it's, it's kind of strange. <laughs> I like, went into it, into it with a bit of a cough, which is a, a <laughs> bit annoying. But the worst thing about it was I got really, really badly sunburned on my thighs. <laughs> I like... Because I was wearing a, um, a tri-suit, I had, I had sun cream all over my neck and my nose and my face and everything. I completely forgot about <laughs> my legs. And the cycling bit wasn't really an issue because that was quite early in the day. But the ski touring, an hour and 40 minutes from Portugal <laughs> up to Celia. Oh, my God. It's awful, <laughs> the, uh, the sunburn uh, on my legs. And otherwise, you know, it didn't really feel too bad i had done yeah, as best preparation as i could in the uk uh, living at sea level and uh, regular listeners will know i was ski touring when i was out in andamat around a month uh, before the race so you know i kind of uh, got through it and i had been in ladies out at altitude the week beforehand so that probably uh, helped as well but you know while i was doing the event or just after the event i actually interviewed a couple of the other competitors uh, to ask why they did it and what they thought about it so let's have a listen to those 
Tell me, Julie, why did you choose to do this race? Uh, because I love uh, the mountain. I'm a French girl and I uh, live uh, in Savoie. And I love bike, yep. ski, and trail. So uh, it's perfect uh, day for. Uh, it is a perfect day, isn't it? Yes. Salut à Congratulations on finishing the race. Thanks Tell me, very much. why did you enter? Why did you do this race? Why would you do this? Oh, I don't know. We are uh, plenty of friends and we all live here actually. Yeah. And we are used to do lots of race uh, by ski. And this one is the last one of the year. And well. So special. Why? Have I what was the best bit for you? Was it the, the uh, cycle, the run, or the ski touring? Uh, actually, actually, we are we are quite, we've been skiing touring all the all the winter. Right. We haven't run and haven't bicycled for the yeah not a lot. So and finally, the ski touring was the worst because um, because we were. We were done. Oh, uh, yeah. Had it so hot. So hot as well. Well, merci à toi and congratulations. Thanks very much. I'm here with uh, Guillaume, who's also uh, completed the race today. How did you find it? Very nice. The part uh, in the trail was uh, very technical in the yep. snow, but uh, it's my uh, good advantage for me to run. So I gained uh, maybe 20, uh, 20 places. Wow, well done. And uh, then at the end, uh, the only things to do was to finish. Exactly, and, to get to the finish. And, and, and the last wall, uh, I fall. Oh yeah. Oh, oh, listener, so he's got a very nasty uh, scar on his arm there. That, uh, ow. Now I need a little uh, medicine. So that yeah. was really interesting. Okay, well, be Great event. Uh, today. If uh, you're looking Guillaume, for a, a and, different uh, challenge, I highly yeah. recommend it. They also have a summer event, which is another triathlon that's a bit different. You're actually rowing uh, on rowing machines uh, down in La Prat and then cycle up uh, and then do uh, a, a longer running section as well. Uh, we're coming to the close now. I enjoy all feedback about the show. So please do email me if you've got any uh, comments. They're always welcome. And reviews are always welcome as well on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, you can contact us via social media and email uh, as well. A uh, couple of comments. Jen via Instagram said, I really enjoy the podcast. Thanks for creating it. Uh, Michael Gaff said, congratulations on the podcast award. It's well-deserved. He um, listened to uh, our comments about Andermatt and the Vale Resorts acquisition of Andermatt. He noted uh, that the share price of uh, Vale Resorts has gone down uh, quite a bit. He was a little bit wary about it. Personally, I think they're probably in it for the real estate, but we'll be following that one uh, quite closely. Uh, I'd also like to thank the many people who offered their congratulations uh, for our award win for Best Winter Sports Podcast. Uh, I'll try and go through them briefly. They include Kathy P, John Sheehan, Adam W, Rachel W, Megan, Bethany, Vanessa, uh, John Walton, Abby B, Ollie Russell-Cohen, Crystal, Chris Thompson, Paul Glynn, Dan Fox, James Hawkins, Greg Hilton, Stephen S, Ian McIntosh, Martin Bell, yep, that one, uh, Sarah B, Rob S, Neil D, Paddy, and Chemi Alcott. So thanks very much to all of you guys. Uh, I also had a question sent in from Andrew Brannan, long-time listener to the show. He uh, said he's just been uh, looking at a Landex station, uh, which is a, a good train uh, transfer for Ishkor, St. Anton, etc. And according to Wikipedia, it says in the winter season, the uh, station is frequented by ski trains, predominantly from Denmark and the Netherlands. Now, Andrew, I'm guessing you probably listened to the episode but i'll put a link into the show notes we had a really interesting interview uh, with yvonne from salzburger land who talked about the uh, chartered ski train that goes all the way from malmo in sweden uh, down to zelamze and i guess it will be another one of those operated by them that train actually starts in sweden it stops in uh, denmark uh, and the netherlands uh, on the way and uh, hopefully that is the start of uh, many other train services hopefully from the uk as well Right, coming up in our next episode, episode 94, uh, I've got Jasmine Taylor back on the show. She's going to be telling us about her best season ever. We've got uh, journalist Rob Reese, who's been out in, uh, in Narvik in Norway, and a really interesting interview uh, about Svalbard. I haven't recorded it yet, but I know it's going to be interesting because that has got to be one of the most outlandish uh, places to go skiing that you can do. So listen, don't forget, there are 144 episodes of the Ski Podcast to catch up on. 
uh, had a quick check and there were 76 of them listened to in the last week. So if you've enjoyed listening to this uh, and you think, wow, it must take so much time to plan it and record it and edit it. Well, you'd be right. And you are welcome to make your own small gesture uh, by buying me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash the ski podcast. Uh, all contributions are welcome. And thanks to Andrew Brannan uh, for his most recent one. Now, you can follow me on social media at Skipedia and the podcast at the ski podcast. But for now, I'd like to thank Switzerland Tourism for sponsoring the show and thank my guest today. Lindsay, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And Al, thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having us on again, Ian. Finally, listener, thank you for joining us. Until next time, goodbye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ski Podcast. Don't forget that if you want to support the podcast, then remember to book your ski hire with Intersport and use the code SKIPODCAST or simply take the link in the show notes. It'll save you money and help us too. Thanks again and have a great winter.